There's a well-known leadership consultant and writer and speaker. His name is John Maxwell. I have several of his books here on my shelves. Uh, he's a Christian. He's uh, uh, constantly giving advice to CEOs and business people and really just people in general on best practices for how to lead. Leadership is his key thing. And so obviously as a Christian, uh, using Jesus as the greatest example of leadership, um, he draws a lot from uh, his faith in the advice he gives. And it doesn't always sound like faith, but it's always the principle as far as I've read. It's the principles based on the things that we see from Scripture, the truths, uh, what works. Uh, you know, Jesus being the ultimate master, how can we follow him? Well, when we implement his practices, it's going to be best practices, clearly. So he has this quote that I'd like to start off with today. He uh, says, it's in his book, Failing Forward. He says, fail early, fail often, but always fail forward. So fail early as we try things, we stumble, we fail. Fail often, make mistakes along the way, but always fail forward, learning from our mistakes, continuing to make progress, continuing to, to move forward with determination and um, growth, learning. This is actually a beautiful definition of discipleship or apprenticeship. We don't know it all, and we don't even know how to do the things. In some cases, we don't even know what we're supposed to do, and then once we learn what we're supposed to do, we, we certainly don't know how to go about actually accomplishing it. And so as we apprentice ourselves to Jesus, I think this leadership uh, quote, this leadership piece of advice from John Maxwell is good for us as well. So fail early, fail often, but always fail forward. Now, as we're looking at the earliest apprentices to Jesus, uh, the Apostle Peter is one of the great ex examples that we have. Uh, he's got a lot of brashness to him, a lot of courage. He's outspoken, uh, but he's constantly putting his foot in his mouth and saying things that Jesus has to correct him on. And as I look through Peter's statements, like all the sayings of Peter, all the things that we have recorded about him in the Gospels this past week, I was struck with the fact of how often the examples we have of Peter are examples of him failing. But as we know, he didn't ultimately fail and, and was destroyed, kind of like Judas, you know, failure, failure to ultimate death. With Peter, it was failing forward. Fail, learn. Fail, learn. Fail, grow. Fail, progress. And ultimately, he became what Jesus saw that he had the potential to become. You know, the, the prophecy that Jesus made over Peter, you are the rock. This statement of me being the Christ, this is the foundation of the church. You will be the foundation of the church. We know later Peter goes on and is the, one of the, the ruling members of the Jerusalem Council, that, that body of Christians that was in Jerusalem and helped give advice to all the local churches that started up, all those little missional community home churches all around the area that multiplied and multiplied. Uh, we know that Peter had this vision from God about Cornelius and going to the Gentiles and not excluding people based on what they eat or don't eat or religious rituals, but based on faith and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Peter became what Jesus knew, but Peter didn't start out that way. And this is one of the things I love about the Bible. It is eminently relatable. The people in it are not set up as these perfect ideals. They're set up as failures and people who couldn't accomplish anything on their own, but that's the perfect canvas for Christ to do something miraculous. And we don't even need Jesus if we already have it all figured out, but it's those of us who have come to the end of our ability, the end of our wisdom, to the end of our um, talents and gifts uh, that have realized we are not sufficient and so therefore we need someone to save us. We can't save ourselves. So 
I actually would like to take six moments from Peter's life, and they're all different areas of life. I think they're, they're things we can all relate to. It's him and his relationship to work and how Christ showed him how he was working versus how he could work, you know, failing in work and yet failing forward in that area. Um, in uh, fear, Peter was really afraid in another scenario we're going to look at, and how did he fail in that? But then how did Jesus lift him up and teach him? How did he grow through that? Worship, Peter has this amazing experience in worship, but yet he failed in his response to it, and Jesus corrects him and teaches him. We have to be open to correction from Jesus. We have to read the Bible and let it correct our thinking. Let it correct. It's the most loving thing the Bible could do would be to correct us and not just allow us to go off on our own in any uh, dangerous or even just useless or worthless direction. Our lives could be so much more with Christ. And so uh, that was the this work. It's fear. It's worship uh, in the area of suffering. Peter failed in his concept and Jesus corrects him with denial. He failed in his uh, staying steadfast to Christ and Jesus had to correct him and uh, in vulnerability. You know, the, the, his desire to sort of stay put together and to keep Jesus a little bit at arm's length and Jesus wasn't having it. He said, I want to get in there, Peter. I want to be with you. I want to know you have to let me. And so in these six areas, I would like to just read real simply, very short little moments from Peter's life, actually six areas of failing, but how he failed forward and how Jesus said, okay, this is a mistake. This is not how we want to think about this. Think my way, proceed my way, fail forward towards me in the direction that we will go together. So let's just read those together. Uh, we're going to start with the first one in Luke chapter 5. And this is one of the, the moments we have when Jesus first encounters Peter. And so he's fishing. He's at his job. He's at the workplace. And he is just working his butt off. He's trying hard. He's giving it everything he's got. <clears throat> and Jesus comes and gives him some advice. And he's like, Jesus, Jesus, you don't know. I've been working hard. And Jesus is like, yeah, well, work smarter, not harder. Like, take my advice. Try this. And, and it, it revolutionizes his experience at the job. And, and it... it it translates to him actually using his skill and, and translating them into a, a career, into a, uh, a lifelong job uh, pursuing Christ. And so I'd like for us to think about our own work, whether we're working in an office or maybe we're working from home, whether our job is communicating with people or doing research or studying or speaking, um, whether our job is out and about caring for people, whether we're a nurse or a teacher or work in a, a retail store or a law office uh, or anywhere in between. <clears throat> What would it look like for us uh, to be working our hardest but not actually getting anywhere? And what advice might Jesus have for us? Let's listen to Peter's situation. In Luke 5, chapter, one, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat, who we know are James and John, sons of Zebedee. 
when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Then they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were the James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I think this is most often used as an example of like leaving your career and going and following Jesus. And that's what he called Simon uh, to do. And his brother Andrew and James and John, it was uh, to become itinerant evangelists and healers and miracle workers and to spread the gospel and become apostles and to plant churches. Like that was their mission. But do you see in their job? In addition to this translation, this repurposing of their fishing skills to now fishing for people, uh, right in their workplace, there was this moment where Jesus says, if you trust me in your job, I will help you. You know, Master, we've worked all day. And Jesus says, yeah, but what about this? Are there people in your workplace, co-workers, that you've had a chance to check in on them uh, at some point in their lives? You know, something came up and he said, I'll, I'll pray for you. And then you say, well, nothing ever happened from that. Where's the catch of fish? <laughs> Where's the, the fruit? Where's the continuing gospel? And we worked so hard and prayed so hard and, and those people never came to see the love of Jesus, never came to put their faith in him. You know, we work so hard and we're, what are we working for? A lot of times we're trying to do things by our own effort when Jesus says, I'd rather you do it by my direction. What if we stopped for a moment and asked Jesus, how do you want me to fish? Where should I put down my nets? What should I say? How will I gain a catch? <laughs> How will I be a part of the harvest in my workplace at work? Before Peter ever leaves his nets and goes and follows Jesus, Jesus says, if you follow me in your work, I will show you the possibilities. And I wish we approached our work from the standpoint of God could do a miracle there. It's not everyone's call to be a missionary in foreign countries or be a full-time pastor, professor, seminary teacher, Bible school teacher, you know, in this full-time kind of Christian mission concept, which we've set up, which is really not what we see in Scripture. We see people living and uh, doing trades, even Paul, you know, tent making, going from place to place. And as he lived in a place, he shared the gospel. What would it look like if our workplace was uh, our gospel mission field? And even if we say, Lord, we've worked here for so long, if he said, what if you put your nets down on the other side of the boat? What if it's the person on the other side of your cubicle or the other person that I'm looking to draw into my kingdom? Why don't you turn your attention, stop working so hard to do things on your own, and ask me, where should we put down the nets? What should we say to whom? What's the right thing to pray? What's the right healing prayer to pray? Jesus wants to direct us in our jobs. And then sometimes he has us trained for a while in a worldly occupation and then he takes those skills and he applies them directly 
to uh, building the kingdom, to planting churches. We need churches throughout this globe. We need the gospel to spread. We need home gatherings and big venue gatherings. We need Christians together. We need the poor being helped and widows and orphans being served and provided for. So sometimes he says, you know, these skills that you've uh, developed here in this workplace, follow me. I actually have a perfect place for you to implement those. Um, but let's not think that he didn't have plans for these fishermen while they were still fishing, in addition to the ones in the future that he knew where he was taking them. So that's the first thing for us to look at Peter. He, he failed by saying, Jesus, you don't know. Jesus is too hard. I've already tried my best. It can't be done. But he failed forward. He got down on his knees and said, Jesus, forgive me. I, I was trying by my own effort. You were right. <laughs> you were right. Those moments, you were right, Jesus at work. The second area that we can see Peter failing, but failing forward, uh, is with fear. And specifically when he steps out of the boat and steps onto water. Um, this is an amazing step of faith for someone to see Jesus walking on the water and then to step out of a boat. That alone would be far more than most of us would even think to ask. It was more than the other disciples and other fishermen uh, there thought to ask. So he thought to ask, it is good, he has some faith, but Faith before we see all the actual uh, consequences, fears, the storm, the wind and the waves is a different thing than being right in the midst of it, being fully aware of what the, the risk is and still keeping our eyes on Christ in faith. And so Peter sets us a good example. You know, he's very relatable. We've had lots of situations where we can step out in faith. But will we continue to walk on the water in faith? Or when things crop up and we think, oh, I didn't anticipate this, or I didn't think it would be this bad, or I didn't think it would be this hard, will we fail like Peter? And he wasn't lost. He didn't drown. But he did fail, and Jesus used it as a moment to say, <clears throat> let's build that faith. You're an apprentice. It's fine. Let's build that faith. This one's in Matthew 14 that we're going to read. Uh, and let's start in verse 23. After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So, uh, stepping out in faith, but, oh, wow, this is scarier than I thought. Save me. And Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. And they fall down and say, Jesus, you were right. How many times do we have intense fears of things that might happen? Wind and waves and things that might happen. But then we get through them, and on the other side we look back and they didn't. It was simply a fear. It was a possibility. And in those, ca in those cases, we look back and be like, all of our fears and anxieties were for nothing. We didn't have to be as afraid as we were. Peter knew the wind and the waves were there, but he stepped out of the boat anyway, but then he got into the midst of it and it was just too much. And Jesus says, 
have faith even when you see more. Have faith even when it's even scarier, when there's even more risk. And their response was, you're right. See, they failed forward. They bowed down and worshiped. Truly you are the Son of God. When God delivers us from things, be it health and illness, uh, be it uh, fears, be it uh, our, our finances, be it uh, enemies, who, people who are pitted against us and making our life miserable, um, court cases, uh, problems with children, the, the fears of all the things that could go wrong can paralyze us and we can begin to sink. And Jesus said, we're not sinking here, Peter. We're not stopping. This is not the end. I'm not done with you. Have faith. We're going to go through this together. Jesus doesn't reject him for sinking. I don't even know if he was angry, disappointed for sure. He says, oh, you have little faith. It's just a statement of fact. Peter, your faith got you out of the boat into here. Don't let it go now but I've got you. And he picks them up and they worship. They fail forward. But then it becomes a lesson. And we see Peter has to learn these lessons, sometimes a few times, but as he moves forward, you see him gaining maturity. He's becoming apprenticed. He's becoming a disciple of Christ. He's becoming Christ-like as he learns these lessons. You know, if you walked on water and then nearly drowned in the water, but then were saved from the water, that's going to stick with you. The water wasn't the end, and even the, the fishing and the exhaustion and the, the pointlessness of that, that job and that you know, unproductive day of fishing, like that's not the end. We're not done, Jesus says. We're going to learn from this, and we may fail in the moment. We're going to fail forward. This can happen with worship as well. We see a great example of Peter. He's in possibly the most worshipful, um, holy moment with Jesus, Elijah, and Moses all having a conversation in the blinding light. This is the first like mountaintop experience. We talk about going away on a Christian retreat or a foreign mission trip or um, being with someone they get saved or going to a church worship service and feeling the Holy Spirit just blessing. Wow, that was a mountaintop experience. Well, this is literally the mountaintop experience. Wouldn't you want to stay? Think back to your fondest Christian memories. Don't you wish you were still there in some way? Wish you could reclaim that or have hung on to that, but that's not how it works. Our Christian memories aren't meant to um, have us reminiscing. They're meant to inspire us that, wow, if that could happen, then what else could happen? And so Peter has this mountaintop experience, and instead of saying, wow, look at the glory of God, if this is what's happening now, and I'm going to love this moment, imagine what could happen when we go down off of this mountain. He says, why don't we just set up some tents and stay here, because this is good. Let's let the church service go a little bit longer. Let's just stay here before we go back out to the world. This is the good place. Let's stay in it. This mission trip is so amazing. I don't want to go home back to the real world. Right? We're like Peter. He failed in this way, and sometimes we do too. But can we fail forward? Can we learn what Jesus has to teach? Can we learn what he experienced here? This is Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, James's brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. It's good that we're here, let's stay. Yeah, it was good they were there. But we don't go into these mountaintop experiences to live there. We go there to experience there and then to take that and be inspired by that as we live our lives waiting for the ultimate mountaintop experience, you know, heaven in glory with God. Uh, you recognize again as they failed face down in fear. We, we get those moments where you go, oh God, I've really messed this up. I really dropped the ball. I really failed. I failed this person. I failed in this situation. I failed here. I failed. Jesus is the, the, the gentle shepherd. <laughs> he loves his sheep. And he, he picks them up and says, come on, get up. Don't be afraid. And then they left the mountainside and they saw no one but Jesus. You know, their eyes were fixed on him. How many times in our, our worship, you know, worshipful moments, worshipful experiences, do we just wish we could set up some tents and just stay there? It's easier there. It's better there. The glory feels like it's more powerful there. The, the pain and the suffering, everything feels like it's fading. Those are beautiful moments, but they're meant to be just snapshots of heaven, glimpses. We're not meant to live in that yet. We've got work to do. We're apprentices. We still got to get our feet dirty walking out there on the roads. And there's people that need to be with Christ in his kingdom that aren't there yet. And that's what we've got to spend our lives doing. So I think that we're just like Peter. And I think we would have wanted to stay there for as long as we could. Um, but Jesus said, no, this is not where I'm meant to stay. This is just meant to be a moment to rekindle our fire, to open our eyes even more to the glory of God, and then to inspire us as we go on. The fourth place we learn from Peter is in regards to suffering. And this is in Matthew 16. And um, Peter didn't want Jesus to suffer. He didn't want to suffer. He wanted to have a route to victory that didn't include suffering. And Jesus says, you're talking like Satan here, Peter. We're not going to have any of that suffering-free Christianity. We're going to have a faith that suffers and succeeds through the pain, prevails despite the suffering. Sometimes we fail like Peter in that we just pray for God to take away all of our pain. We pray for God to just uh, take us out of situations when it's very possible that he is going to use us in those situations. It is very possible that we will grow in our faith as a result of suffering, that we will be divorced from our love of this life and this world when we see it for kind of the poor imitation that it is of eternal life and perfection in the Spirit. You know, when we, we see life for the, the trouble that it is, it helps us have a heavenly mindset. And have our eyes fixed on the kingdom. You know, seek ye first the kingdom and then all these earthly details will take care of themselves. And so sometimes we fail like Peter in that we just want to get out of the difficult time. You know, we get in trouble and we're more upset that we got punished than we did something wrong. Like, do we just want to get out of difficult times? Jesus said, wow, consider it, you know, a blessing when people persecute you, and he was persecuted. 
are we willing to be persecuted and just rejoice in the fact that so was Jesus and we get to be like him in his sufferings? Or do we just want to be like him in his resurrection and victory? It's both. We need both. We're called to both. We're followers of Jesus. It means we will suffer and we will be, be victorious. It's a beautiful kind of harmony of those. But uh, like Peter, sometimes we want to avoid it. And so Jesus corrects him in that. Matthew 16, verse 13. Um, actually, we're just going to skim through that. In, in verse 13, 14, 15 is where Jesus said, Who are people saying that I am? Peter says, Some Elijah this. Who do you say? Peter says, You are the Christ. And he says, Well, this is the rock. Um, uh, that the church will be built on. You, Peter, are the one I'm going to build my church on. This Christ-centered statement, uh, this, this Christology that you have is what is going to be the foundation for my church. And he charged them to not tell anyone that he was, going, that he was the Christ yet. He, he's letting it unfold slowly, so he tells them to wait. But in verse 21 there of Matthew 16, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So he began to explain to them what's coming, what he knew was coming. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life, eternal life, for his soul? So Peter saw the suffering that Jesus was prophesying. He says, no, far be it. Keep that stuff away from me. There's no reason you should have to do that. I've seen the miracles that you can do. We don't have to go that route. And he says, this is a temptation that Satan is throwing in your path, Peter. You're being tempted to think that sins can be atoned for without the shedding of blood. You are being tempted to think that I came to be a powerful ruler, not a suffering servant. You're being tempted to think that with enough might and with enough protection, we won't have to suffer. That is not God's plan. God's plan is that I might die for the sins of the world. Right? That's what Jesus is telling him here. But he says, you know, get behind me, Satan. Clearly, Peter failed. If he's being called Satan by Jesus... But he's failing forward because you see him understanding and not fighting anymore with Jesus about the, the suffering. He's like, okay, okay, I didn't think that's how it was. I don't want it to be that way, but I trust you. And so he follows him and, and Jesus ultimately goes through the suffering. There's the garden, you know, Peter is still trying to defend Jesus, but Jesus is taking him through. You know, Peter failed, but he failed forward. And later, Peter is joyful for having been uh, arrested, joyful for having been beaten for the name of Christ. He, he suffers in the book of Acts with joy, whereas in the Gospels, you see him resisting it. This is an obstacle for us as well, something we can learn from Peter. A lot of times we just don't want to suffer. We want all the benefits of Jesus with none of the trials that he experienced. A servant is not better than his master. That's what Jesus said. So if we're going to follow in his footsteps, we take it all. We take the good and the bad, the easy and the hard, knowing that ultimately it's the best. Let's not let suffering our avoidance of suffering be something that um, 
blocks us from becoming mature, powerful, vibrant, thriving followers of Christ. Because it will. If we're not willing to suffer, we will fall off on the wayside instead of seeing where Jesus can take us. So this ties in closely with the fifth one, and then there's one more. This one is denial. Obviously, Peter denies Jesus. And there are times where we've said, oh, no, I don't know what I think about that. Or where someone's brought up a religious conversation and we've bowed out of it or just not had any comment. Well, it's not going to matter if I say anything now. Or people are mocking faith in Christianity and we just think, like, well, I'm just not going to say anything. This is a, a hostile crowd. I'm not going to speak. Uh, let them believe what they want. I know what I believe. And so with Peter, he gets put on the spot and he denies Jesus, denies, denies three times. Like, what a failure in his character, in his faithfulness. You know, Jesus gives him a chance later to redeem. He asks him three more times, uh, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? So he renews that relationship. So this failure was not the end for Peter. It doesn't have to be the end for us. But I would like us to, to consider the times where we've either denied our faith, we've denied Jesus, or we've been unwilling to step up and speak up for him. Because that's what's happening. Will we be... Will we, be accounted with Jesus. When people say, what do the Christians think? Well, we stand up and say, well, I'm a Christian. This is what the Bible says. This is what I believe. Or will we just stay quiet? And Peter, in this case, is outspokenly denying. But I think sometimes by what we don't say, it can be just as powerful uh, a denial of Christ as um, outright saying we don't believe in him. Matthew 26, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. You know, he cursed, he swore to them. I do not know the man. Then after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We fail by denying Jesus. Sometimes we, we refuse what he says. We deny him. Sometimes um, people ask us what we think and we evade the issue or we, we water it down and say, oh, maybe this, maybe that, instead of standing with him on hard topics and saying, well, I don't know, but this is what Jesus says, so I trust him. Um, but I think for us, the most common way that we deny Jesus is just by keeping our mouths shut when we should speak up. You know, Jesus should be on our lips. How many opportunities have we missed simply because the name of Jesus didn't come to our lips in a conversation? What people in our, our social circles would have responded if we had spoken the name of Jesus as part of our conversation? Which ears would have perked up and said, what do you, what do you mean, Jesus? If Jesus never, the name of Jesus never passes our lips, what opportunities are we missing? What people are not hearing the name of Jesus? In what ways are we hiding our faith? Are we actually being ashamed of him because we won't speak his name? Never let the name of Jesus off our lips. Put him in every conversation. Make him the point of what we talk about. When we're at home, when we're at work, when we're out with our, our families, when we're, you know, 
running or exercising, when we're with friends, put the name of Jesus on our lips because sometimes by never having the name of Jesus on our lips, we're actually denying him. The conversation comes and goes, the opportunities are there, and we remain silent. What's the difference between that for you and for me than saying, oh, I don't know Jesus? If we never speak of him, if we never bring him up in conversation, if we never align ourselves with him when the crowds around us are out to get him, what's the difference? And especially for those of us who truly passionately love Jesus, in this day and age where Christians get such a bad name and are vilified in so many ways, can we represent a good version? Can we for ourselves, no matter who else does what, who calls himself Christian, can we live a life of love and self-sacrifice and helping and um, holiness? Can we do those and then say, I'm with Jesus, so someone can get some examples of people who are failing, but failing forward with Christ? Not perfect, but genuinely loving Jesus, loving God, loving our neighbor. Let's be those people. And when we fail, let's just own it and say, good thing we believe in grace not perfection. So, our denial can take many forms. Peter failed in that way. We do too. Let's learn from him and fail forward and speak the name of Jesus at the right moment. So the last one is vulnerability. Many times we want Jesus and our faith to be an intellectual thing. So it gets into our head, but it doesn't get into our heart. Uh, or there's levels to our life. We're willing to let Jesus give us advice on how to parent, but we're not willing to let Jesus give us advice on how not to lust. All right? What are the levels? Like We're willing to let Jesus and the church and our Christian brothers and sisters like in to a certain extent, but then we have certain barriers. We just put up a wall and we say, nope, that's just for me. That's my own private battle. That's my own private fears. What do you think Satan's going to do with your own private fears if you lock them away? They're just going to fester our own private doubts, our own private sins. This privacy is like a false privacy. And when we just block things off, all they do is just kill everything within those barriers. Jesus says, no, you need to let me, Simon Peter, wash your feet. You need to let me do these menial tasks. Be vulnerable to me. Give me your dirty feet and let me wash them. Don't keep me only on a Sunday morning, only in a Bible class, only in a discipleship curriculum, only in certain areas. Like, let me into the very practical, mundane, um, dirty areas of our lives. He said, you know, you're clean. I've made you clean. You're clean because of the words that I've spoken to you, but you still walk out there in the world and your feet get dirty. And that's what I feel like the great example is or uh, illustration or metaphor for our lives. Like I walk around out in the world and I talk to people and I see things and I want things and I buy things and I fear things and I covet things. We all these just got bombarded and, and we like our feet just get dirty, but I'm still clean. My soul has been made clean and no matter how much, no matter what kind of like dirt I get on my feet by walking out in this dusty, dirty world, it's not going to change the condition of my soul. And, and that's the confidence that we have that when we fail or when we, no matter where we are, that we can't be lost. Jesus has us. So Peter in this foot washing moment with Jesus just tries to keep Jesus to a very respectful distance. Jesus doesn't want to have a respectful distance from you. He wants to be involved in the nitty-gritty of the frustrations you have with your spouse, of the fears you have in your singleness, of the temptations that you suffer from in terms of money and pride and greed and lust 
and fear. We're tempted by all these things, and Jesus was too, but he didn't fall to them. See, we fail. Our, our purpose, though, our, our goal is to fail forward closer to Christ. And Peter is rebuked from Jesus gently, but he submits. Will we let Jesus in? Will we fail forward in this same way? So our final reading is from John chapter 13, verse 1. Um, we get to see Judas here in the beginning, and I think he's a great comparison, and we've touched on it a few times, but just to briefly say, Judas betrayed Jesus, Judas denied Jesus, Judas sinned against Jesus, Judas rejected Jesus, and then went and in hopelessness with complete uh, lack of understanding of grace or forgiveness or anything, went and committed suicide. No, Peter fails Jesus, Peter denies Jesus, Peter rejects Jesus. He does all these same things, but he submits and humbles himself and comes back to Jesus. Like, where else am I going to go? Please forgive me. And so we have these two betrayers, these two uh, failures. You know, with Peter, we have so much written about him more than any other apostle, and so much of it is his failings. But see where he ended up. He ran the race, like Paul says. He, he pursued, he, he kept failing forward, knowing that Jesus loved him and would forgive him. And so we have another example of this. We have a mention of Judas as well, and they're, they're quite contrasting definitions of failure. Failure as the end and there's no hope versus failure as uh, we're going to learn from this because God's not done with us yet. So John 13, 1. Before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he, was, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And that's too lowly, that's too personal, that's too mundane, that's too dirty for you, Jesus. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, well then, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet. But he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew what, who was to betray him, which is why he said, not all of you are clean. Now when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You are to be like me and wash each other's feet. I wonder if Jesus was remin or not remin um, 
referring to baptism, when he said you've been washed. He's certainly referring to salvation, being saved, you are clean. But Peter's like, well, no, no, don't, you shouldn't do that. You should, Jesus, you shouldn't have to take care of the dirtiest, lowliest parts of my life. You're too good for that. You're too pure for that. You're too holy for that. And Jesus says, you're right. But if I, who am the Lord, will do this, how much more should you for each other? Are we willing to wash one another's feet? Are we willing to humble ourselves and do the dirty work that it takes to care for people when problems get messy? Are we willing to wash one another's feet when someone sins against us? Are we willing to, to get into the unforgiveness and get into the, the guilt or the, the divisions? Are we willing to get in there where the feet are just dirty and say, well, I know we're clean because Jesus has made us clean, but if Jesus can wash feet, I certainly can wash yours. We're supposed to do what he did. And Jesus was vulnerable. He let people in. He shared his feelings. He cried. He laughed. He, he wept with them and ultimately led them through to victory. And so that's our joy and our hope that as we fail forward, Jesus will bring us to victory in our work, in our fears, in our worship, in our sufferings, in our denials, in our vulnerability. Let's not let those things be stopping points for us where we, we hit the wall and just fall down. Let them be points of failure, but always let us fall closer and fail closer to Christ and know that he's there. If he could have done that for Peter with all these countless times in his life where he failed, then he certainly can do it for us. If we cling to him and follow him, he will make us fishers of men. He will help us build his kingdom. He will help us mature and grow. We will learn from these things and we won't always be destined to keep making the same mistakes because we are becoming more Christ-like every step of the way. So may God bless you in your job. May it be for Christ this week. May God bless you in your fears. May you trust in Christ this week. May God bless you in your worship. May you seek Him everywhere this week, not just in your mountaintop experiences. May God bless you in your suffering this week. May you see Christ with you in it every step of the way. May God bless you and protect you in your moments of denial, your moments of silence. And may we stand with Christ this week and may God bless you in your vulnerability. May you open yourself up fully to allow Jesus to do his work, which he wants to do. And may we be that way for those around us as well. God bless you, church, this week. May we fail forward like Peter.